old pilots playing tales. Jet noise, the sound of... When we moved into our house in the Hampshire countryside, we noticed a remark in the surveyor's report that our area was subject to aircraft noise. We laughed. Oh, how we laughed. We laughed until the tears ran down. As we had lived for the last 18 years or so on the edge of fighter bases, often right under the circuit as phantoms, hornets, hawks and tornadoes roared around somewhere between 500 and 1500 feet above our heads. We loved the changing tones as the pilots juggled the throttles around the pattern and the roar of a reheat takeoff, the mighty sound of an eight-ship rattling in through initials at a couple of hundred feet and then breaking up into the circuit one after another. Our new house was under the flight path into Heathrow in Gatwick, which both lie 50 miles from us. The whisper-quiet noise of airliners couldn't even drown out the faint sounds of worms burrowing through the soil, let alone the birdsong that was by far the loudest thing in our garden. But things haven't always been that way, and back in the day, aircraft noise was significantly worse. If we'd lived near Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in the mid-50s, we might have noticed a new fighter being put through its paces, the Republic XF-84H. This new arrival turned heads, but not just because of its unusual design. It was a long, sleek aircraft over 50 feet from stem to stern, with the wings and bubble canopy set well back. The airframe was based on the F-84F Thunderstreak, a popular swept-wing jet fighter of the early 50s with a low fin-mounted tailplane and nose intake leading to a Wright J-65 turbojet, basically a British Armstrong Siddeley Sapphire built under license. Despite having some issues, an extremely long takeoff run, a tendency to pitch up in an accelerated stall which sometimes caused the wings to part company from the fuselage, and an unrecoverable spin, if kept within the flight envelope, it performed well and, for a while, equipped the United States Air Force Thunderbirds formation team. The XF-84H was built to meet a US Navy requirement for a carrier fighter not requiring a catapult launch, so Republic came up with a version of the F-84F sporting a T-tail and a propeller driven by an Allison XT-40 turboprop. The large steel three-bladed propeller was 12 feet in diameter with a very, very long propeller spinner and the Allison jet exhaust was fitted with an afterburner for extra thrust. The huge propeller and massive torque caused handling problems. The airframe had longitudinal stability issues and the engine reliability was so poor that on 11 flights by one test pilot, 10 ended up in forced landings. It became such a problem that they flew with the emergency ram air turbine permanently extended to give power when the engine failed. 
test pilot Lynn Hendricks told the formidable Republic project engineers, Well, you aren't big enough, and there aren't enough of you to get me in that thing again. However, within the bounds of today's subject, the remarkable thing about the XF-84H that turned heads was the noise it made. It was almost certainly the loudest aircraft ever built. Although some BAC-111 engineers might disagree, and became known as the Thunder Screech, or the Mighty Ear Banger. Even at idle thrust, the propeller travelled faster than the speed of sound, producing an almost continuous sonic boom that radiated away from the propeller disc for several hundred yards. The shockwave was powerful enough to knock a man down, and during a 30-minute engine ground run, a crew chief inside a nearby C-47 was incapacitated by the noise. The aircraft was notorious for inducing severe nausea and headaches among ground crews, and in one report, a Republic engineer suffered a seizure after close-range exposure to the noise emanating from the devilish machine. So bad was the deafening din that the Edwards control tower was vibrated sufficient for radio and radar electronics to fail, and the controllers could only communicate with the thunder screech by light signals. After numerous complaints, Republic were forced to tow the offending aircraft out to Rogers Dry Lake for engine tests. Work on the thunder screech persisted for a year, and then, to the relief of all within earshot, the USAF cancelled it in 1956. There is little doubt, however, that in the early days, efforts to keep airliners quiet were almost exclusively trumped by the need for performance. The materials of the day and engine theory just weren't advanced enough to allow diversions into noise reduction when it was hard enough just getting the thrust high enough to fly. As a result, the first generation of jets lacked acoustic shielding around the core and the front fan elements of modern engines. Despite having several spools powering different stages of compressor and turbine blades, the jet exhaust was a single narrow column travelling out of the jet pipe at extremely high speed in comparison to the relative flow going past the engine. It's the shearing effect of that fast air cutting through the lower speed adjacent air that creates the majority of the noise. We hear by having our eardrums vibrated by waves of air pressure, and there are lots of things in a jet engine that can create sound waves of the right frequency to be heard. This isn't to say that early piston-powered prop airliners didn't make noise, and what's more, unlike the next generation, many weren't pressurised. This meant that they cruised at much lower heights, which ensured they could be heard from below for their entire journey instead of just their arrival and departure. So what parts of an aircraft create noise? 
Firstly, and as mentioned, the engines do, but not just the jet E-flux, although that's responsible for some of the loudest sounds ever produced by mankind. The combustion chambers where the fuel is burnt are noisy. The compressor stages will emit sound out of the front and the turbine stages out of the rear. Remind me to mention what happens when you add an afterburner. The airframe adds to the noise, particularly any portion where turbulence is created, because air banging against air makes sound waves. Particular areas for attention are undercarriage doors and, when extended, the gear assemblies. The flaps and slats are noisy, especially at the ends where turbulence vortices are generated. Generally, the clean airframe is aerodynamically smooth and therefore quiet as it passes through the air, but since most noise problems occur when airliners have descended in order to land or are low after takeoff, this is when all the noise-creating extensions are extended, adding to the discomfort of those who live around airports. So what can be done to ease the problem? Back in the late 60s and early 70s, noise abatement climbs were introduced. These required pilots to throttle back their engine power soon after takeoff and climb at V2 plus 10, only 10 knots above their engine failure safety speed, until they reached a height where they could accelerate and raise their flaps without making too much noise. Initially unpopular with many pilots who wanted to get their aircraft up to climb speed and away from the ground promptly, the noise relief it gave to those below the flight paths was significant, and this technique is more or less universal around the world. More recently, other flying techniques that require a constant angle of descent for at least the last 6,000 feet mean that engines remain at low power settings for the entire approach and have complemented this early form of noise reduction. Since older style jet engines were the noisiest, designs have changed to ease the noise problem, whilst I might add, also vastly improving their efficiency and impact on the environment. The addition of large fan sections to the front of the jet engine has created multiple improvements. The bypass fans are the first few sets of blades at the front, and they are driven by the turbine discs at the rear of the engine, which are turned by the jet exhaust. These fans create a great deal of the engine's thrust, but most of the air moved is ducted by the cowling around the outside of the engine core and doesn't enter the engine and isn't part of the combustion process. It exits from the rear of the engine in a large mass but at a lower speed than the jet E-flux which has gone through the core. This means that the hard edge of shearing turbulence created by a pure jet is softened as the velocity is progressively reduced in stages. Since the introduction of early jet engines, the effective perceived noise levels have fallen by a staggering 95%. This means that every decade has roughly seen a halving of radiated acoustic energy. This is mainly because of the bypass ratio, the ratio of air that goes around the engine rather than through the core, 
and it's gone from about a third in early turbofan designs to a tenth in more modern jet engines. However, we mustn't pat ourselves on the back too much. Engines with giant fans are generally used by long-haul wide-body airliners, and narrow-body jets constitute about 70% of the world's fleets. These smaller aircraft can't use the mighty high-bypass engines of their bigger cousins, and they often have a lower bypass ratio, which makes more noise. There are also large numbers of older aircraft amongst the narrow-body commuter fleets, but eventually they will be phased out in favour of quieter and more efficient models, such as the new engine options that are coming to the market. Engine manufacturing is also continuing its steady improvement, with Garrett, Lycoming, Pratt & Whitney, Rolls-Royce and Turbomeca all developing geared turbofan engines. In this development, a planetary reduction gearbox, just a type of elliptical gear train, is put between the drive shaft and the front fan. This allows a lower fan speed, which means that the ratio between the engine size and the fan size can change to reach bypass ratios of around 15 to 1. It also ensures a slower tip speed for the blades, which reduces noise considerably since conventional fan tips can reach the speed of sound at high power settings, giving rise to the classic buzzsaw noise that big fan engines produce. The geared fans promise much but have so far been dogged by development and reliability issues, but ultra-quiet engines will eventually ensure that noise levels continue a downward trend. If push comes to shove, everyone can fit those cookie-cutter back ends to their exhaust nozzles. More correctly termed noise-reducing chevrons, they help to smoothly mix the fast exhaust air, reducing noise-producing turbulence, or so it says on the box. As engine noise is reduced, airframe noise will become dominant, but this can be cured by rethinking aircraft aerodynamic design. An airliner of the 2020s looks a little different from those of the 1960s. The shape of the nose, windshield, the junction area between wings, tailplanes, fins and fuselage all create turbulence and therefore noise. They also create drag, so it's a double benefit when those junctions are smoothed. There has been talk of blended body airliners for many years and despite the obvious benefits, I doubt I'll see one in my lifetime. However, other efforts can and are being made to keep noise down. Auxiliary power units are nasty, high-pitched, noisy little jet engines that power an airliner's air conditioning, electrical power and provide air to start the main engines. If airports were to provide decent, reliable ground supplies of power and conditioned air, the use of these units can be greatly reduced. 
Modern navigation equipment allows for much greater flexibility in designing approach and departure routes into and out of airports. This can give more variety to flight paths and help prevent concentrations of noise occurring. Even though we can make quieter aircraft year-on-year, increases in air traffic volume ensures that Despite individual aircraft being less noisy, there are fewer and fewer breaks from the incessant drone of airliners overhead. But progress has been unending and will continue. Of course, one thing we can never do is make helicopters quiet, or pretty, or anything other than an offence to the aesthetics of flight. But apparently people are trying. The noise sources on a helicopter are many, and sadly they usually fly around horribly close to Mother Earth. Thickness noise, loading noise, blade vortex interaction noise, broadband noise, high-speed impulsive noise, tail rotor noise are just a few of the worst that they produce. The best way to keep a helicopter quiet is to park it in a hangar. However, changes to rotor design Ducted and coanda effect tail rotors can help. But nobody has yet to come up with an airwolf whisper mode. One thing I'm sure is that nobody minds if their world is shattered by the noise of a jet fighter passing a couple of hundred feet overhead in full burner. I say this very tongue-in-cheek, as back in the 70s our low-flying maps were already covered in more red spots than a kid with chickenpox. Military combat aircraft are generally exempt from any attempt to hush them up. High-bypass engines are impractical in jet fighter aircraft where space is at a premium and fast engine response something that big fan engines lack, an absolute priority. And that's without considering the addition of an afterburner. Look at the pretty coloured diamonds that appear in the reheat flame behind a fighter. They aren't there to make your photographs look good. Those diamond shapes are the shock waves that form in the jet flux as it exceeds the speed of sound and the deafening roar that accompanies them only to be expected. Of course, the great thing about the jet fighter that has just passed overhead and nearly given you a heart attack is that it's gone in the blink of an eye. Were it a helicopter though, hot air balloon, paramotor, microlight, says the 150 or other crawling bug smasher. The noise would be ten times as annoying and last infinitely longer as they plod across the sky. Gliders and helium balloons, though, are generally okay. Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show and you can find out all about that at AirlinePilotGuy.com 
Now, if you're enjoying playing Tales, why not pop across to Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice and leave us a super review. It'll certainly help. Many thanks for listening.